Father, we thank you for this morning and we thank you, God, that we can lean on the rock of our salvation, God, knowing that it's firm, God, that it won't move. And God, we thank you this morning for the cross. We thank you for the price that you paid for us, God, so that we could know, God, the life that we have in you. I thank you for the time that we had just in your presence. And I pray that you'd speak to us through your word. God, speak to our hearts. God, tweak us, change us, do what you want to do in us, God. We submit to you. We give all these things to you and we ask them all in Jesus' name. Amen. We received in the mail a week or so ago from uh, some folks that probably were cleaning out a a closet or something, but they had some books from our church dated back in 1964. And it was the Men's Brotherhood book that listed all the people that had been coming to the meetings and had been, uh, you know, participating in the men's ministry of the church. And uh, in that book, there was uh, a budget suggestion for 1965. And the total budget for our church in 1965, the proposed budget for 65, was $21,065. That's a long time ago, isn't it? 20, the, the, and so each week, the church had a goal to meet that budget that they would receive $1,755.42. And so that's what the church needed back then. They paid the pastor $5,460 a year. And they paid the music youth director $3,900 a year. That too has changed. Uh, I was blown away, however, when I saw that the utility budget for the church was $1,200. I bet the utility budget for our church is $1,200 an hour. These days, money, money changes, doesn't it? Money has changed through the years. Jesus talked a lot about money. And Paul talked a lot about money. And there's an interesting passage that I think is very relative, uh, relevant, in other words, for our church today and our community and who we are as the body of Christ here. And it's found in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Now, Timothy is Paul's protege. He, he's his He's his uh, prize pupil. And Paul had poured a great deal of time and energy into raising up Timothy uh, to be an elder, to be a pastor, to be a preacher, to, a disciple of Christ. And he gave Timothy the assignment of concentrating on the city of Ephesus. And Ephesus Ephesus was much like Alito in many ways, as it was a place of uh, uh, a lot of wealthy people lived in. Ephesus was a hotbed of commerce. It was a banking center. It was a center of trade. And uh, from the east, uh, people would bring all the spices and all the different materials that they would find in the east and bring it to the west. And, and they would come through Ephesus on their way into Europe. And it was a place where money changed hands in a large way. And so it was a leading center of, of money. And so Timothy preached, taught wealthy people. People that had more than most. People, when you compare 
their income to the income of the world, they had more than uh, the, the percentage of the rest of the world. And so I think that's an important lesson for us here and see what Timothy was instructed to teach about money from Paul. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Look in verse 6. This is a wonderful verse of Scripture. Commit it to memorize, commit it to your heart. True godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. That's very fascinating, isn't it? You can be wealthy without any money. You can be wealthy without loving money. Matter of fact, the key uh, to being wealthy is not to love money, not to seek money, not to be really absolutely obsessed with making more and more and more money. Think about that for just a moment. Godliness, being right with God, being upright, the righteousness of Christ, seeking to live a moral life, seeking to live a holy life, being set apart, not perfect, not a holy perfection, but a holy direction, becoming more and more like Jesus, thinking like Jesus, speaking like Jesus, acting like Jesus would be that godliness. So godliness with contentment is in itself great wealth. Think about contentment. To be content. Now, if, if, if you obsess with having more, if you obsess with, with different life and someone else's life, you covet, you're, you're not content. When you can look around your life and you have contentment for your life that you have in Christ, that's wealth. And so that's where Paul really begins to lead Timothy to understand. Contentment, happiness, peace, joy is apart from money. That's very foreign. That's very different than what we have been taught in our world with the American dream is so uh, elevated. When everybody wants the American dream, and that understanding is a better life that means more money, more things, more, more, more. And if we get to that point where we have enough, then we'll be content. But that's not true. It is not true that the more money you get, then you will somehow or another get to a point where you have enough money that you're then content. And we all know that movie stars and famous athletes that sign that big contract for the play or to uh, sign that big contract to be in that movie, and they get paid more money for one year or one movie than, than most people will be paid in a lifetime. And what they get paid for that one season of being a reliever, that one season of being in that movie, if they were to manage their money properly, they could live the rest of their life comfortably. But yet because... Money does not bring about contentment. They find themselves going down a rabbit hole. They find themselves deteriorating because they spend all they have then because it doesn't meet the need. Because there's need for more, need for more, need for more. And so he says, Godness with contentment is itself great wealth. And then he says in verse 7, and you've heard this all your life. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came in the world and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. 
I bet that some way or another you hear that three times a month. Three times a month. You'll, you pro- maybe, perhaps, it depends on the circles that you live in, you hear that more than three times a month. You know, you can't take it with you, man. You can't take it with you. That is a common uh, saying, colloquialism, that's in our culture. You know, you can't take it with you. But haven't you found that even though people say that all the time, they don't believe it one bit? Because they live and they operate like you can take it with you. And you can't take it with you. You were born with nothing. Guess what? You die with nothing. You can't take it with you. So that saying came from the Bible. And so when people tell you that the Bible is not relevant for today, it's an archaic piece of information, literature, take them to 1 Timothy 6, 7 and have a look at this. Is it not true? After all, we brought nothing with us when we came to the world. We can't take anything with us when we leave it. That is an important piece of information for us because it doesn't take a very serious study to discover that People that live like you can take it with them don't do real well on this side of eternity. You need to think about that very carefully. Verse 8, it says, So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. Let us be content. If we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. That's what we need to count on. Do you have enough food? Certainly we have enough food. Do we have enough clothing? Certainly we have enough clothing. Can you believe how big our closets are? Can you believe how big our closets are? Can you believe after we've lived in our home for just a few weeks or a few months or a couple years, how small those big closets get? I mean, isn't it a crazy thing when people live in a house that has a closet that's bigger than many houses in the world. Now, I'm not beating you up at all. I'm just trying to reveal to you something that we need to be really careful of in our community. We live in the land of big closets. You know we do. Matter of fact, we live in a land where when you're showing off your house to your, to your parents or to your uh, family, what do you do? You show them your closet. What a crazy thing that is. But the Word of the Lord says to us, we need to be real careful about all that we seek to be content because the Word of the Lord tells us that if we have enough food and we have enough clothing, contentment can happen. That's where we need to be. That's where we need to be. That changes our whole outlook. I love my Duluth Trader clothes. They're wonderful. If you've never worn Duluth Trader underwear, you have not lived, man. They're wonderful. And it ought to be that we wake up every day and, and you take that shower. And I, I'd think about this. I said, I get the loot trader on the day. Go put it on. Ah, contentment. Contentment. Time for breakfast. Oh, egg is bacon. Contentment. 
Are you happy, Lee? Absolutely. Why? Duluth Trader underwear and bacon and eggs. You don't need anything else. What else do we need? What else do we want? I asked for it, I know. <laughs> barbecue? Come on, come on, barbecue. Verse 9. But people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. All right. You know anybody that's upside down trying to get involved in new business? I wonder how many men and, and folks or businesses are upside down trying to capitalize on the oil boom out west. I wonder how many are, are hunting for gold and, and they've put their whole soul into making the big bucks. Man, you drive through, Pecos, Texas is not the same place that I remember driving through through the years. Unbelievable what's going on out there. And, 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 and there's a hum. I-20 between Midland and Odessa is Dallas like a traffic jam. It's crazy. I mean, we were backed up the other night coming through there because they were working on the road. That's Odessa and Midland, for God's sakes. And there's just a hunger out there. There's a buzz that people are going to make it big and make it rich. And, and there is within people that temptation to get rich, to have more than we can ever spend. Be careful. The Word of the Lord says it is a trap. That temptation is a trap, and it causes many foolish and harmful desires that plunge us into ruin and destruction. So we have to be careful with money. We have to be careful with our desires about money. We have to be really careful with our relationship with money. He goes on to say in verse 10, one of the most misunderstood and, and misquoted, mis, misinterpreted scriptures in the Bible. The word of the Lord says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. The scripture does not say money is the root of all evil. It doesn't say that. It says the love of money is the root of all evil. That's very different. Misunderstood, but very different. Perhaps all most people hear is money, and they don't hear the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. That's true, isn't it? But it's also true that every gift of God can either be something that brings blessing or curse to us. Food can be misused. Sex is misused. Money is misused. Power is misused. Influence is misused. Wine is misused. And everything that God has given us to be a blessing to us for our enjoyment and our fulfillment, if it becomes an idol, then it becomes harmful to us. And so when we have the right perspective and right relationship with money, it's not evil. There's nothing wrong with having money. There's nothing wrong with making money. There's nothing wrong with having more money than other people have. And when you're watching TV and the politicians are telling us, they're saying it's wrong to have more money than other people. The Bible hadn't taught that. 
The Bible doesn't teach that. Matter of fact, I believe it teaches something completely different than that. But the love of money is the root of all evil. No question about that. Money's behind killings. Money's behind uh, 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 greed, obviously. Money is behind uh, abusing people. Money is behind trafficking, sex trafficking, human trafficking. Money is behind prostitution. Money behind gambling. Money is behind all those things that can literally rob people of life. The root of money is the root of all evil. And some people craving money, it says in the last part of verse 10, and some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Now look in verse 17. He follows back up his conversation here about money. In verse 17 he says, Teach those who are rich in this world. So who are the rich in the world? That's their question. Who are the rich in the world? I, I did a little investigating a little bit. says just answer that question. Who are the rich in this world? Now, the IRS has a 2015 report. It was the, the, the newest I could find. And here's what they report. 1% of all Americans that reported an income of $416,000 or more. Now, the key is reported. There, I'm not quite sure how you, how you report that or how you deal with that. But 1% made $416,000 or more. 1%. 2% of all Americans report an income of $250,000 or more. So if you make $250,000 or more, you're in the top 3% of income in America. 5% of all Americans reported income of over $150,000. So they made between one hundred fifty and two hundred fifty. Ten percent of all Americans reported income of a hundred thousand or more. So, eighteen percent of all Americans that reported on their income tax made more than a hundred thousand dollars. Eighteen percent. Thirty-two percent of the American taxpayers reported income of between fifty thousand and a hundred thousand. And then 50% of all Americans report income of under $50,000. And it didn't go into any reporting like those that made $15,000 and $20,000 and those kind of things. So, you can take this, you can say probably, I mean, I don't know how to do that bottom number with a 50%, but probably a large percentage of that 50% is making more than $30,000 a year. Right? Most likely. Even minimum wage, you know, they work enough hours, they can move up a little bit. And then, of course, you've got to have in that reporting, you've got to have things like um, uh, part-time workers, you know, students that work a part-time job, and all those kind of things that report their income. Now, in America, obviously, you know, for me, if I'm in Highland Park, I don't consider myself wealthy, Right? You know, if I'm in some neighborhoods in our community, I don't, I don't consider myself wealthy because all the houses are beyond my ability to buy. 
There's no way I can buy. I don't need to look in that neighborhood. I don't need to look in that neighborhood. I don't need to look in that neighborhood. You know, and matter of fact, the reason why I don't live in Lido School District is because it was cheaper. And the land was a lot cheaper for me. And the tax is a lot cheaper. I hate to tell you that, but they're a lot cheaper in Hudson Oaks. It's a beautiful place. And so it's all relative, isn't it? But Paul says, he says, take a look at this. Teach those who are rich in this world. So I did some investigation on that. How much do the people of the world live on? And it's very staggering to hear this, but here's what I found out. In the world, and so we're comparing ourselves with the world. In the world, it's reported that 73% of the world's population live on $10 or less a day. 73% of the world's population live on $10 or less. So who are the rich? All Americans are rich. All of us are rich. If you make minimal wage, you are wealthy. And so this instruction, teach those who are rich in this world, is for all of us to hear closely because we're all wealthy. The wealthy need to hear how to deal with their money. The wealthy need to hear what's important about money. The wealthy need to hear what Paul through Timothy is about to tell us here. Look what it says. Teach. Now, that word teach is an interesting word, and it's not like teaching in Sunday school, and it's not like teaching in, uh, in uh, the schoolwork, but it's a military term, and the word means charge people. So I want to charge you today because this is the true meaning of the word. I've always wanted to do this, so play along with me. <laughs> when I command you, you say, yes, sir. When I command you, you say, yes, sir. When I command you, you say yes, sir, together. You won't make the military. First thing, the rich are not to be proud or haughty. The rich are not to trust in the uncertainty of money. You are not to trust in your money. I can't hear you. You are not to trust in your money. The rich are to trust in God who is certain. We wouldn't do well, would we? All right, thanks for playing along with me. But that's the word. That's the word that Paul told Timothy to use in teaching the wealthy Ephesians about how to handle their money. Verse 17. We are not to be proud or haughty because we have money. Because in comparison with the rest of the world, we 
are wealthy. Do you realize if you have clean drinking water, you're wealthy? Do you realize if you have a roof over your head, you are wealthy? That, that completely bypasses us. Do you realize that in the good old United States of America, that if you're homeless, you have more access to benefits than 73% of the world? That's an amazing thing to me. And so Paul says, charge those wealthy folks. Charge them, those folks who have been blessed, not to think they're better than other people. When you see someone that's homeless, you see someone that's down their luck, you see someone that lives a lot less than you do, when you begin to think they should have went to school like I did and done better, they should have worked harder, then they'd have been somewhere. Paul says, don't do it. That's pride. Never think yourself better than other people. If that country would just get their politics in order, and if they would just do the right things, they could come along and they could be blessed in the world. Paul said, that's not for us. We're not to engage in that kind of mindset. We are not to be proud or haughty. Verse 17 says that clearly. Teach those, charge those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Boy, isn't money unreliable? Money's unreliable. It can be here tomorrow, gone tomorrow. Don't trust in it. Don't trust in that banking account. Don't trust in the possible prospects of making a fortune. Don't count on it. Don't trust in it. It's unreliable. It is a foolish thing for us to trust in our income. Paul says, don't do it. He says, don't be haughty. Don't trust in the uncertainty of money. He says, on the other hand, our trust should be in God who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Now, that's a little piece of information that we need to understand. He gives us all we need to enjoy. Now, we lack education when we can't enjoy the Duluth Trader underwear and we can't enjoy a simple breakfast. We lack education. It's good for us to have an education to the 73% of the world that do not have that level of wealth. You know, we're not going to work all day for a bowl of rice, are we? We're not going to work all day for another set of clothes this month. You go in homes in Cambodia, you go in homes in Uganda, you go in homes in that 73% of the world, they don't have dressing drawers. Do you know that? They don't have furniture in the corner of the room where they keep all their clothes because what they've got on is probably one set they've got. And if they have another set of clothes, you know, it's in the washing. It's not like having a bunch of clothes, you've got one or two sets. And if you got three sets, you're really fortunate. I, I don't remember seeing uh, dresser drawers in those places. Perhaps they have them. I just didn't see them. I can tell you this for sure. We have going on around us, let's see, I think there's six different storage centers being built right now within two or three mile radius of us. Can you believe that? I, I've never seen a storage facility in Portugal. 
I've never seen one in England. I don't recall it. I've certainly never seen one in Cambodia. I've never seen one in Africa. I've never seen storage facilities. And here we are. We have so much stuff that we have 16 by 20 storage buildings. And I went through a stage of life with us with things that were outside of our control that we encountered, that we were doing. We were storing stuff that wasn't worth our monthly bill. Oh, it irritated me to no end. But we got out of that business. Praise the Lord. We need to to think about those things. We need to think about what brings contentment. What brings satisfaction? What truly satisfies? Verse 18 says, Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. I've already started giving to the youth program. Myself, me and Susan, we've already started giving. That's what we do. You need to be ready to do that. I mean, pray about it. Think about how much you're going to give. But you need to start giving to that because that's the assignment that we're given. Sometimes we invest in our Jerusalem. Sometimes we invest in the uttermost parts of the world. But we're blessed. We're wealthy. And so we need to do good with our money. And we need to do good with our money. That's doing good with the money. It's a short-term deal. Do good with it. Let's get it paid off and let's move on. And, and, and so if God calls us to Jerusalem again, we're ready with that to, to, to supply all that God is using through us in the ministry now. Shouldn't really take a whole lot of consideration to go ahead and get that thing knocked out, paid for, and move on. That's a great witness. That's the witness that God wants us to provide to our community. I'll tell you something about those crossing people is they're more concerned with the kingdom and providing for the kingdom than they even are providing for themselves. That's where we need to get in Christ. Our trust should be in God who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. That's the wealthy. That's the rich. That's who we're to be. Always ready to be generous, to share with those who have a need. What is the need? Food, clothing, good drinking water, Absolutely. Need to be real careful with our, our benevolent work. And so, so much of our benevolent work in our country is just improving their way of life. We feel guilty that we live at a certain level and other folks can't live at that level. We need to get out of that. That, that causes lots of problems. That's, does not, that's not the heart of the gospel, by the way. We need to help people, educate them, show them, but meet the needs they have. Surely, good drinking water you know, perhaps uh, clothes and food, absolutely. But beyond that, it's, it needs to be an educational process. It needs to be a case-by-case business. But to improve the condition of one standing from uh, a medium income to a little higher income so we have less guilt is not the heart of the gospel. Not the heart of the gospel. And then in verse 19 it says, By doing this, he's getting to something here. He's concluding this. By doing this, 
They, who's the they? The rich. They, the rich will be storing up their treasures as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. Oh my. The word of the Lord tells us today that if we are content with godliness, if we are ready to give, if we recognize what God has provided for us, and we are content in that, not wanting more, thankful for God's provision, and we are generous, we are ready to share with others, we are going to experience the true life that God has for us. And here's the quencher here, the quencher, the, uh, the thing we need to take from us today. Listen to this. Christians, followers of Jesus, should invest money in the lives of people that will welcome them in heaven when we arrive one day. That is giving by faith for the purpose of the kingdom.